We've been talking about Jesus. That's a good thing, isn't it? Yes. Anyone love Jesus in this place? Yeah. It's a great thing to talk about. And we're up to uh, chapter 5 um, of the Gospel of John. And we're taking our journey through there. And, and, and John chapter 5 is all about... Um, have you clicked off of it? See, just click on the PowerPoint again for me, mate. Sometimes the computer has a mind of its own. There we go. Jesus, the healer. So... Jesus has healed the man at the pool of Bethesda. That's where we left last time I was sharing. But he did it on the Sabbath. Everyone give me a... Yeah. And, and he was, he, he's got everyone talking. Everyone's talking about this Jesus who heals on the Sabbath. He also claimed to be the Son of God. So that was pretty uh, incredible at the time as well. It enraged the religious leaders uh, even more. But no matter what anyone or any religion says, we can't have God without Jesus. That's where we left off uh, last time I shared. There's no God and then there's Jesus. They're three in one. We son this morning, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So you can't have God without Jesus. They come as an indivisible set. And if we reject Jesus, then we're rejecting God. And if we accept Jesus, we accept God. There isn't an either-or option. And that's what caused the controversy at the time. The, the religious leaders were aware that the Messiah was coming, but Jesus didn't fit the mould that they'd created in their mind of what Jesus was to be like. And, and so they thought he was uh, you know, a, a false prophet, uh, someone who wasn't um, relevant uh, to the teachings of God and was, in fact, disobedient to all their rules and Torah and things that they followed. So we're going to pick it up in John chapter 5, uh, verses 24 to 27 is what we're up to. So I'm going to read to you and follow along on the screen, or uh, I'm using the New King James Version if you want to follow along with your own Bibles today. So it says this, Most assuredly I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. For as the Father has him life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. What I love here, and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. That moment when we welcome Christ into our heart, it's just a defining moment in our lives where we do a passing. It's like a moment passing, but it's not insignificant. It's the most significant moment of your life where you pass from death to life. See, before you knew Christ, you didn't know you were dead because you didn't have that awareness of what was going on inside spiritually. But when we come to know Jesus, we can see how we were once dead to sin, lost, confused, unfulfilled, and then when we find Jesus, all of a sudden we pass from that state into this position of life and fullness of life. And that is the defining moment in a Christian's uh, past where they made that commitment to Christ and passed from dead to life. So dead men hearing. Uh, the Hebrew scriptures teach that eternal life happens after people are raised from the dead at the last judgment. And Jesus gave this concept a new spin by declaring that eternal life, it's a new quality of life that I just referred to before, is available right now when people believe 
in him. See, Jesus' second claim, this is in this scripture, to being the son of God, was the fact that God gave him authority to raise people from the dead. And we're not just talking about people that have died physically, but died spiritually. There's that passing from passing from death to life. You know, later he would demonstrate that ability with Lazarus physically, because Lazarus physically died. He's mentioned two resurrections. Number one, he mentioned that people who are dead in sin are made alive to eternal life. And that's an experience I think most of us have, have gone through, and hopefully people online, but maybe you're tuned in today and listening, and you haven't had that moment or that experience where you've welcomed Jesus to be the Lord of your life. You'll get that opportunity later on in the service um, today. But the second resurrection is his own physical resurrection from the dead. Jesus now references uh, this. So let's continue with the scripture. Verses 28 to 30 of John chapter 5 says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I can of myself do nothing as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. You know, in spite of what some people teach, uh, death is not the end. It's not lights out, finished, and, and you just go... To, to this nowhere place. Death is not the end. We don't just breathe our last and go into oblivion. That's not what happens. Death is the beginning of a new life that actually lasts forever, either in heaven or in hell. I don't know where I'd like to end up. I'm sure most of us would agree. And the unfortunate and sad thing is, is that the world is oblivious to life after death. And they don't have that concept. If they did, you know what they're going to be choosing, right? But they're just living on easy street and not acknowledging that life after death is forever. So Jesus continues his lists of resurrections now by referring to the future resurrection of dead believers, to eternal life and the resurrection of dead unbelievers, to judgment. And both of these are going to happen. And so we've got a choice to make while we're living and breathing right now. The resurrection of dead believers is referred to a grave-cracking lesson. <laughs> 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 18, a very misunderstood scripture and debated over, and, and uh, it's a whole sermon really to delve into this scripture, but we're just going to read it today. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. I don't know about you, but I'm comforted that the Lord is with me always. Yes. Through life, through death, through eternity, when I've surrendered my life to him, when I believe in my heart who he is, and I confess with my mouth he's my Lord, I'm saved, the Bible tells me. And he is with me, and he's with us, all of us, when we make that commitment together. And uh, when we are raised up to be with him, the dead shall rise in Christ. We, that, that, that time of rapture, when that happens, and the church is raptured, we're going to be with him. 
and, and the season is, is nigh. You've only got to turn on the news and see what's happening around the world to know that things are heating up yes. around the world and around the globe. And so be wary of this. Be cautious of this and, and, and serve God with all your heart and love Jesus and just keep doing what he's called you to do. And that is to reach out to others and live a life that's pleasing to him. Because what's coming is very serious. It's judgment. And judgment in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15, it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And it's quite hot. Uh, so no one wants to go there. And it's very simple. We make it complicated, but it's very simple. If we give our hearts to Jesus, if we believe in our heart, if we confess with our mouth, he's Lord, believe that he was raised from the dead for our forgiveness of sin, that paid the penalty that we couldn't pay. When we believe that, 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 that where it refers to works in that scripture, you can just get a big rubber stamp and just stamp Jesus over that because Jesus covers our works, the things that we do. He helps us, he leads us, he guides us, and we are covered by his sacrifice. Amen? And so it's important to have that revelation and understanding that it's only by Jesus that we are saved. It's not our own natural works. See, some people read that scripture and see works, and they think if I try hard enough, if I say the right things, if I do the right actions, then God's going to love me more and I'm going to be allowed into heaven. That's not how it works. No one can come to the Father but through Jesus. And so we need to have that rubber stamp of Jesus over our works every day, confess our love for him, believe that we're saved every day, thank him for it, live a life full of gratitude because he died for us every single day. So we need to behold. I love that song. We didn't sing it today. But come and behold him. John 1.29 says, The next day John, this is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So I know judgment's coming and I know we're a little, even as Christians, probably a bit, oh, what's going to happen? But you know what? If we behold Jesus, all these things, when we turn our eyes upon him, just drift away, fall away, because they're not important and they don't matter anymore, because what matters is Christ and our belief and love for him. So although God the Father gave Jesus the job of judging people, he can't and he won't do it on his own. After all, they're, they're inseparable, Jesus and God. And so Jesus doesn't do the judging on his own. He wants to please his Father, he says in the Scripture. So once more, Jesus drives home the point that he is God. God and he are one. And this causes the Jewish leaders to basically accuse Jesus of blasphemy. Because like I said, he didn't fit the mold of Messiah. He didn't look like what they were expecting. He didn't act like or do what they thought he was coming to do. All right, let's continue. Verses 31 to 35 says this. 
Jesus continues, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. Are you still with me? It's a lot of witnesses. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. So Jesus is trying to explain to the Pharisees, but you know what? The Pharisees were never going to understand. They had their mindset. They knew their law. In fact, their law was their God. And so that's why when God in the flesh was standing right before them, their eyes well, it glazed and they just did not follow or comprehend who Jesus was. Jesus' third claim here to being God's son was a roll call of witnesses. He started with his own testimony and he realised straight away that it wasn't enough for himself to testify of himself. So he then talks about John the Baptist, whom the Jewish people listened to for a while. And John brought God's light but they didn't really understand his message and put their faith in Jesus. If they did that, they wouldn't be basically holding him to account right now where he's trying to explain himself and, and, and get the Pharisees to understand who he is and why he's come. They, they just missed the whole point of why Jesus came. All right. Verse 36 to 40. But I have greater witness, I have a greater witness than John's, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me. In other words, everything that Jesus does, the miracles that he's completed up to this point, the signs, the wonders, that is declaring who he is. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you, because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. You know, this is the miracle defense from Jesus. He's trying to get them to see. Jesus brings out his miracles that he's done to this point as a testimony that he is the Son of God. I guess after all, who, who, who could change water into wine the way Jesus did uh, without being the Son of God? Who could heal a dying boy from a distance? Remember we read about that. He wasn't even there. He just spoke the word and it was done. You know, who could heal the lame man who had an infirmity for over 30 years at the pool of Bethesda and he literally just comes and tells him to get up, take your mat and walk and he's healed? Who else but the Son of of God. See, the people involved in those miracles could testify convincingly about what Jesus had done for them. But in case these witnesses weren't enough, still, Jesus next called on God the Father and his word as witnesses, the scriptures. The people to whom Jesus was speaking had not seen God or heard his voice, but they had read his written word. That's where they formulated all their laws and, and the way of life that they've chosen to live. Both the religious leaders and the common people respected God's written word. There was agreement there. And it testified to Jesus and his deity, but the leaders who studied and taught the scriptures didn't understand that the passages about the Messiah pointed to Jesus, who was finally living there among them. They were that clouded and, and, and that 
glazed over the eyes, living their 613 Torah laws, and they knew them all off by heart, and they were that entrenched in living life that way, that they just missed the point of Jesus being there in the flesh with them. You know, people often ask this question, maybe you've asked this at one point in your life, I don't know, but if Christianity is true, why do the majority of intelligent people not believe it? It's a good question, isn't it? Well, the answer is precisely the same as the reason the majority of unintelligent people don't believe it. They just don't want to. They just don't want to believe what they're reading in God's Word. So it's nothing to do with intelligence. It's everything to do with heart. And we've got to make a choice in our heart what we believe. doesn't matter how intelligent you are. Jesus has come for all. He's not asking you to figure it out. The truth is most of us will never figure it out, even the most intelligent person. How can you understand the three-part being, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and understand how they can function together in such a way? It's God anointed. It's God anointed. So something else to ponder, and maybe this is relevant to some people in the room or someone listening, but we can know the Bible backwards and forwards like the Jewish leaders did in Jesus' day. They knew the Bible really well. But we can still not know God and his son. It's a personal relationship that we have to develop. God didn't give us scripture just so we could have something to study. Instead, he gave us his word so we can know he exists and know what he's like and know that he loves us and that he wants a personal relationship with us. He wants us to be in a personal relationship through faith with his son. Bible head knowledge is useless unless we act on it, unless we do something, unless something shifts in who we are. First, we've got to believe in Jesus, and then we've got to practice the truth that he teaches us in his word so that we can become more and more like him. So don't just be the Christian that knows the Bible back to front and can rebuke any argument with a scripture. But how's your daddy going? How's Jesus positioned in your life? Have you talked to him lately? Have you spent just a minute of your day thanking him for breath in your lungs, for dying for you, for, for all that he's done? I'm sure if we went around the room, everyone would have a great story, a great testimony of something good that's happened in your life. Praise God for those things. Don't forget to be thankful for what he's doing. And don't just come to it. Don't be the Christian that just comes to Jesus when things are tough. And look, I need something now. But praise him on the good days. Amen? You know, praise him on the good days. I praise him that we can still meet as the church. You know, I know there's been some controversy down south with whether you can sing or not and, and these sorts of things. But you know, in some countries, the church still can't gather. So we're blessed to be able to just come into the house of the Lord and do what we're doing. Well, I consider us blessed. All right, let's continue. <laughs> Computer's playing games with us today. There we go. Oh. John 5, 41 to 44. I do not receive honour from men, Jesus is continuing, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you'll receive. How can you believe who receive honour from one another and do not seek the honour that comes from the only God? So, short in the love 
department. That's what's going on here. Jesus wasn't looking for praise. It's not about that. Instead, he was evaluating their love for God. This group of religious leaders come up short in that department. Although they would have sworn that they do love him. They would have said, we keep Torah, we keep the law of the land, and we do this because we love our God. But see, the law became their God, and they lost sight of who God really was and what he was asking for. So they've come up short. In reality, they loved their religion more, more than God himself. And that's why they didn't accept Jesus' claim to be the Son of God and to be sent by God. Sure, they would have accepted him if he fit the mould, if he came as a big warrior and he saved them from Rome and, and led them into battle, and these were all the things they were expecting Jesus to be. But because he didn't fit the mould, they didn't surrender to him. They weren't conv convinced of who he was, and Jesus didn't fit their preconceived ideas of what Messiah was supposed to do and be like. But Jesus just didn't fit that mould. So these leaders continued to seek one another's approval instead of God's. It was more important to them that they were seen by their peers as fulfilling law than it was for them to please God with their actions. It was more important for them to please each other. All right. John 5, 45 to 47. This is coming to a close, the, the chapter 5. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But you do not believe his writings. How will you believe my words? So these are the closing statements, their accusations as a closing statement. Jesus points out that Moses, whom the people revered, because the law came through Moses to the people, would become their judge. That would have taken them a step back a bit. What? You know, he wrote about Jesus, Moses. Moses wrote about him. And, and, and yet they want to kill Jesus. So they didn't believe either Moses or Jesus. So case is closed. <laughs> they don't want to believe anything. They just want everything to fit their mould and their rules and their laws. So they refused to accept Jesus, which really means... They're refusing to accept Moses, even though if you asked them, they'd say, no, no, Moses, he's amazing. He wrote all the laws and we follow his laws. But they didn't believe him. They didn't believe Jesus. And so let's wrap the chapter up. We're going to come to a close. Here's what we've explored in chapter 5. Some of it last time, some of it today. But at the start of John chapter 5, Jesus instantly heals a man who had been lame for 38 years. What a miracle. We got to see it. We watched um, that snippet from The Chosen Season 2 and it was really awesome. And because Jesus healed on the Sabbath and claimed to be God, the Jewish leaders tried to kill him because they're not happy. He's doing stuff on the holy day and, and they don't like it, even though it's good what he's doing. It doesn't fit their law, their mould, and so let's sort this troublemaker out. And then Jesus claimed to be able to give life like God does, and that's just riling them up even more. It's almost like he's saying it tongue-in-cheek just because he knows the effect it's going to have on these religious leaders. And then Jesus calls, we just read about it, the five witnesses um, to prove his deity, to prove that he is the Son of God. And his witnesses were himself, John the Baptist, his works, God the Father, and God's Word. I think we can all agree that 
Jesus is the Son of God. Amen. Amen. And he died for our sins. Yes, you know, there's five chapters in to the book of John. I'm really enjoying going through this gospel with you. I want you to have a fresh revelation. Don't just read through these pages and go, yeah, I've read the gospels before. I know the stories. This is my heart in looking at the gospel of John. To have a fresh revelation that there's something powerful about the mighty name of Jesus. You know, we sung his name so powerfully today in worship, but there is there's something powerful in that precious name of Jesus. His name is powerful. His name is holy. His name redeems us. His name restores us. His name sets us free. There is power in the name of Jesus. Can we have a look at the screen as we come to a close? What name could contain such a glory? In the cool breezes of Eden, brought from the infant earth, one arose, the voice of his creator speaking his identity to life. Adam, man. And as heaven waited short with breath, the creator spoke yet another, Eve mother of all the living. So it was with Abraham, named in the promise as the father of nations, Peter, the rock upon which the church would stand. The name called to life the destiny within. The name set the stage for all that was to come. And unto us the child was born. And what name could contain his glory? For he was mighty God, as the universe gasped into being flinging rays of light from his presence to pierce the void, to shatter the shadows to a tapestry of color. And he is mighty God, shattering our darkness, revealing our light, our truth in him. He was everlasting father when orphaned Israel needed a father's touch. When we, with grief-stricken cheeks, need the embrace of one who never leaves, we have lost our way to dark horizons. It is our everlasting Father who lights the way home. He is Prince of Peace. When, like Elijah, we need the still small voice in the turmoil's midst. When, like David, we need the melodies of his presence to soothe our troubled minds. He is sanctuary within our trials, shepherd guiding us to still waters. And yes, he is wonderful counselor. God who gives counsel in the chaos, crafting disorder into calm and failure into beauty. He is a voice for the voiceless. He is dignity for the stateless soul. It is he who raised up a lowly shepherd to become a king. He who took the fishermen of Galilee and made them leaders of history. It is the counselor who redeems our lost years. Breaking chains that have kept dreams imprisoned and joy confined. The name reaches across eternity. Exclaimed by the splendors of galaxies. Sung by the passions of angels. Roared in heaven's fervor. Exalted in creation's unfettered rejoicing. What name could contain him? What title? What soul? Renowned? But this is our wonderful counselor. Is our mighty God. This is our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace.
what name could contain such a glory? What name but Jesus? We cry Jesus. We cry holy is the name. Thank you, Jesus. His name is holy. His name is powerful. At the mention of that name, every knee bows and every tongue confesses. That time's coming, people, that he is Lord. I don't know if you know that song. It's just a little chorus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. To break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain. If you want to access that power today, if you've got chains in your life that are restricting you, that are holding you back for whatever reason, whatever's happened, I don't know your story, but this I do know. Jesus breaks every chain. There is nothing too hard for him to conquer in your life. So in this moment, with every head bowed, let's bow our heads, let's be in prayer and just fix our eyes on that beautiful Jesus right now. If you're at home online, I'd encourage you to do the same. There's power in his name for you today. If you've never surrendered your life to the powerful name of Jesus, you're not you're not joining a cult, you're not joining this church, although we'd love you to come. But what you are joining is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And you're saying, you know what, when this life ends, I want to have that life eternal with you, God. Not in that place of burning fire, that pit of hell, because I haven't taken my opportunity in this season of life to accept you. I encourage you to consider accepting Jesus in this moment. And not just because of what can happen beyond this life, but because everlasting life is available to you right now. Before you know Jesus, you're in that position of death. You're bound by sin. The mistakes, the failures, they're written all over you. But then Jesus comes and he writes your name on your, on your heart. And he transforms your life. And you're no longer under condemnation of sin. Because he removes that and breaks every chain. So in this moment, with every head bowed, every eye closed... If you want to surrender your life to Jesus, would you just lift up your hand and say, Pastor Jeremy, include me in your prayers in just a moment. I'd love to pray with you. If you're at home, do this wherever you find yourself, in your living room, online. Lift up your hand. Jesus sees your hand and he sees your heart. And he'll come like a rushing wind. Let's all say this prayer together today, shall we? Because we all need to surrender our life continuously to Christ and make him our Lord. So say it like this, dear Jesus, I thank you that you came and that you died for me and made me free from my sin. You've forgiven me from my past, all the mistakes I've ever made, the shame that I've brought you. You forgive me and you make me whole. I'm a new creation. I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. And I confess with my mouth that you are my Lord. 
I'm a Christian and I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we praise God and thank Him for somebody's somewhere who's making a decision for Jesus in this moment. God is good. God is good. Let me pray God's blessing over your church as we have fellowship and coffee. Remember to catch up with Ben who's lingering around out there. Maybe burn his scarf. I don't know. Do whatever you got to do. <laughs> do whatever you got to do. <laughs> but I want to pray God's blessing over you. And God bless you as you give faithfully in our first fruits right across the month of July. We do it over a month because some people are paid this week, next week, the other week, whatever week. So pray. If you haven't already, do this. Pray. And ask God to lead you and guide you as to what he'd have you do. Father God, I thank you for your church. Lord, I thank you for the great future that's ahead for this church. We surrender it to you. We ask you to bless this planning of this new facility. What a big process it is. But God, we're just, it's baby steps. We're just at the start. But from the outset, we ask you to breathe on it. We ask you to lead us and guide us into it, Lord. And we ask you to bring provision, Lord, that you would bless people indeed, that we would be able to uh, do this for your glory, Father God, and know that it's a miracle for you that you've done in our lives. Lord, I pray for each person that your Holy Spirit lead us and guide us, go before us, behind us, and around about us. Lord, give us wisdom. Help us to reach out to people and give us opportunities to share of your great love this week. And Father, guide our steps. Lead us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Be blessed. Let's have morning tea and fellowship. And uh, say hello to the Kents while we're here. That'll be good. Bless you.